It's time for the VolQuest podcast, where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. Good Tuesday morning, everybody, and welcome into the VolQuest podcast here at VolQuest.com. And it's presented by each and every week, Smoky Mountain Organics. If you're suffering from those spring allergies like many of us are, then you need to check out Smoky Mountain Organics, CCNC's most trusted health and wellness store focusing on natural products and organic remedies to a variety of ailments. You can visit one of the three locations located right here in East Tennessee, including the location in Knoxville at 8018 Kingston Pike across the street from the Trader Joe's, or you can buy online, shop online at SmokyMountainOrganics.com. I'm Eric Kane, alongside Rob Lewis, Austin Price, and Brent Hubbs. Got a couple things we're going to get into today. Of course, baseball, that's the hot topic right now. Uh, falling to Notre Dame and Super Regional Play at Lindsey Nelson Stadium. Uh, coming up short of Omaha, we'll touch on that. And, of course, a big recruiting weekend. Had three official visitors that were in town. There's been a couple of camps over the week, so uh, loads to get into, guys. But let's start with baseball. Um, Brent, obviously, it's disappointing is the way I'd characterize it. Uh, this team had the talent to not only go to Omaha, but win some games in Omaha. And anytime you come up short of that goal, it's going to be disappointing. But especially with the late rally there Sunday afternoon, Notre Dame just never gave up. And ultimately came out victorious there on a Sunday in game three. Well, there's a lot to get to and, and to dive into. Um, I, I'll say this, whenever you're in the championship arena or in the championship hunt, there's going to be more disappointment than there's going to be jubilation uh, because more teams lose than win championships. We talked about it on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. I think it's harder to get to Omaha than maybe than it is to any other sport, you know, I think it's probably harder to get to Omaha than it is a final four. Now it may be harder to win a basketball championship. That's up for debate, but I think the, the path to getting to Omaha uh, is, is one that's really, really challenging because it's not just one game. Like uh, Rob, when you're in the, the sweet 16, you get a guy hot for that one game for 40 minutes and you find a way to be Cinderella. You got to win two out of three. And, and when you're, when you're playing a best of three series, you know, cr- cream rises to the top and you've got to play, you've got to play well. You can't just have one great afternoon uh, or one great night. Um, and, and that's obviously Tennessee did not have uh, a, enough. Um, they picked a bad win, bad weekend not to play their best baseball. Their, their two bad weekends came against Kentucky and Notre Dame. And uh, as a result, Tennessee's season ends prematurely. It was a great run, but I think everybody's going to remember for a long time that this team failed to get to the College World Series, which I think everybody, quite frankly, assumed they were going to. Maybe they shouldn't have, but they assumed that that was going to happen. Yeah, for me, I, I just – I've told – I don't know, Eric and Ben and I have had this conversation. Maybe you and I have two hubs. Um, I never thought that this was a championship or bust season. Like, I think if, had they wanted it, it would have been awesome – I think the biggest thing was getting back. And I think that's where it's disappointing is, you know, I think it would probably have been a little bit disappointing to get there and, and go two and done. Um, Cause that's the same thing you did a year ago. I think they need to win a game. Um, but had they just got there and won one game and then lost the next two, I, I would have called the season still very successful. I, it's just hard to look at this run as anything but a disappointment when you don't make it to Omaha. You know, I mean, what they did was unbelievable. You know, but at the end of the day, it's a postseason sport. Ole Miss had a losing record in SEC play, was up in the air whether they would even get in the NCAA tournament, and yet here they are going to Omaha. I mean, you know, look at team, look at the teams going to Omaha. I mean, like that's 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 the kick in the the butt if you're Tennessee. You know, I mean Auburn, A and M, you know Texas, all teams that you faced except for A and M um, that that you know are there and you're not. 
Well, and I think it also tells you how hard it is to get there, Eric. I mean, look at the look at the home teams that didn't advance out of their super regional. Um, look, look at you know, look at the teams that are going to Omaha that are not that were not quote seeded. They were not one of the top eight seeds. Um, it's hard to get there, but yeah, it's disappointing that this team, which has been robbed so dominant, um, and, and and called the you know the team the best team one of the best teams in college baseball history and one of the best teams in the decade, deepest pitching rotation. Um, you know, best offense out there that they couldn't find a way to, to win two out of three against Notre Dame uh, at, at home in a super regional to advance to the college world series. Yeah. And I thought, I mean, Hubbard, you, you brought up the pitching and to me, that was the, that was my biggest surprise of the weekend. I mean, I didn't follow Notre Dame closely all year, but you know, just reading about them in the run up to the weekend, it seemed like Tennessee had a big advantage in not just the starting pitching, but the bullpen and boy, that, that did not, that did not work out this weekend i mean i know tennessee's bats were i don't know not exactly ice cold but they weren't they they weren't clutch you know they, they didn't get a lot of guys on base to take advantage of the long ball on friday night it's all those were solo shots right if i remember correctly yep all the bombs and then notre dame's bullpen this weekend i, I kind of i kind of thought was a story yeah and then of course the, the big story yesterday for sunday for tennessee was the great debate on should you have left Chase Burns in as long as you did. Now, whether you bring him back out there for the seventh, like I think a lot of us agree that that was probably the right call because he was cruising. But I think we can all agree that you needed to have two guys, you know, at least one guy ready to roll. And Tony Vitello post game, emotional about the loss, obviously, emotional about, you know, these seniors and the, being their final time together, but also credits Notre Dame just on that and how he. Uh, maybe mismanaged some situations, and it took a little ownership after the game. Here's Tony Vitello post-game comments on that seventh inning, leaving Chase Burns in and the loss overall. Uh, obviously, congratulations to Notre Dame. I'd say uh, they have a lot to do with um, what I'm at fault for as far as decision-making and the job of a coach is once the game starts, put your guys in a good position to succeed. And I didn't do that, um, but this is uh, a job that requires – big boy decisions and um, they, they come at high stakes when you play in our league or you get into the postseason. Uh, a lot of that was discomfort from things we saw out of Notre Dame. Uh, so again, a credit to them. And then two, you got to execute. So they did that uh, throughout the weekend. I thought our guys played good defense and obviously we, we kind of uh, did some damage yesterday on the scoreboard, but um, that'll stick with me. Um, Notre Dame will get to go to Omaha and enjoy that and probably do some damage. It's a really tough group. And I think what needs to stick with our guys uh, once time passes, um, which they say time heals all wounds. I don't know who they are um, because sometimes those take a long time. But uh, 57, that's a lot. That's a lot. A team that – a bunch of good kids, a couple maniacs out there, but – accused of bats. I've never seen a kid accused of doctoring a ball, uh, accused of doing the Astros and banging on the on the bench. Um, uh, th- there's other. I mean, accused of signaling three to three, and that's supposed to be the double bird. Um, a lot of that stuff was just, you know, because of how dynamic they were as a group and what they accomplished. And they did some extraordinary things. And really it was just kind of like yesterday. You slide – Trey Lipscomb into the four hole, Drew Gilbert's out and gets an RBI in the first inning. Uh, that obviously is not the most important play of the weekend, but it's one to me that defines this group of a bunch of guys that 
um, got each other's back. Brent, you hear it there from Tony Vitello says that maybe, you know, Notre Dame has a lot to do with how you know, he decided to go about that game, late situations in the bullpen. If you were Tony, how would you have handled that seventh inning? Because uh, Tennessee, of course, had a 3-1 lead. Uh, Burns had a 1-2-3 inning in the sixth, just got, a, just got an out there in the top of the seventh. What would you have done in terms of handling Chase Burns in that situation? Well, I would have had, a, I would have had somebody hot and ready in the bullpen. Um, and, and I think this is where – uh, this is where Tony Vitello missed Frank Anderson this weekend. And Frank Anderson is a terrific baseball coach who's done this for a long time. Um, and there's a lot of talk about Drew Gilbert and what he should have done and how he should have acted and everything else. I mean, if they got to put a seatbelt on Frank, but Frank Anderson's got to stay on a bucket in the dugout. Uh, but because here's the thing, Tony Vitello knows his baseball team. He knows his baseball team. Well, he's managing an entire game. He's managing batting rotation managing all of those things that's going on. Frank Anderson, he completely turns and trust and turns the pitching staff over to. So what kind of conversations, Austin, would Frank Anderson be having with Chase Burns? And more importantly, or just importantly, would he be having with Evan Russell in, in, in the fifth and the sixth inning on, hey, is the fastball still moving the way it needs to? Is the slider, where, where's the slider cutting at? Is it, is it getting deep in on the batter? Is it cutting early? Is he hanging some pitches? What's his, what's the movement on things right now? I, I don't think you had that level of conversation because the guy who's developing Chase Burns is not in your dugout because he could not keep his cool on Friday night and stay in the dugout to avoid a three-game suspension. I, I, I just thought they missed Frank Anderson on Sunday afternoon, and that was a real mistake by a veteran coach to not keep his composure Friday night. Yeah, and I know what, you know, Tony tried to, you know, say he was trying to come and make sure that Drew didn't go nuclear. But, I mean, come on, man. He, he came out of that dugout, like I've said it all weekend, he came out there like George Brett on the Pintar game. I mean, like it wasn't like he just came out there all calm to Drew, and he wasn't clearly only talking to Drew. Um, you know, they missed that. And when do you take him out? Anybody that said they should have not sent him out there, it doesn't know baseball. I mean, he had 73 pitches. He'd give up two hits. Gets the first out, ground rule double. Do you take him out then? Maybe. I mean, maybe. But at that point, you ha if you do that, you're about to face Notre Dame's best hitter who has just torched you all weekend. They get him to pop it up. Now there's two outs. Like, I think if he was going to take him out, he should take him out after the two-run homer. Because the next guy had the home run foul and then subsequently hit the home run to give him the lead four to three. But he really hit two home runs as far as distance-wise off of Burns in that at-bat. Um, I thought that if they were going to take him out, they should have taken him out after the two-run homer that tied the game, not before then. I mean, he, he had shown you nothing to warrant taking him out before then. He'd given up three hits before the two-run homer. Three hits. And one of them was that – one of them was that – you know, in-hill, infield hit that end up turning into Notre Dame's first run, which, I mean, that's that's not a hard hit ball at all early in the game by, again, the kid that was tennis, or Notre Dame's best hitter. Yeah, at the end of the day, you still had guys on base earlier in that ball game that you failed to bring in. Tennessee yep. left five on. And, and, you know, it's just like a football game. You can pick and choose, you know, whichever series, whichever play that could have had the difference in a ball game. But, you know, when you have a 3-1 lead late in the ball game, and I think we all felt good, about Tennessee at that point in the game, but knowing that it wasn't over, you just have to be ready for each and every scenario. And and that's where I come in with Brent. I, I, I do think Tennessee missed a, a Frank Anderson in that situation. Through the first four innings on, on Saturday, you're sitting there one to nothing. And I was, we were watching, I was watching on my phone 
uh, in playing golf in, in Middle Tennessee. And I just kept telling the guys I was playing golf with, I'm like, they've got to extend. Because this is one of those games where, like, even if you have a good pitcher's duel, a couple of hits, you know, put together, and all of a sudden you're down a run, you yeah. know. And so same, they were able to have that big inning. They, they, they pull away. They run away from them in that game. Tennessee couldn't do that. When they went up three to one off the Seth Stevenson double, um, and he's sitting there with no outs at second base, not getting him in to me was crushing. I, I thought that was a real blown opportunity. Yeah, here's the only thing about the pitch count that that I would have and again, I think this is where Frank Anderson not being there is a, is a factor. 92 pitches is what Burns finished with, if I'm looking at the stats right. I, I may have this wrong. I don't think I do. That's the most he had thrown since April the 29th. It, he had pitched a month where he had not thrown a whole lot of pitches. He had one game where he had 80 pitches in May. But everything else had been 29, 67, 63. I mean – where where is the where's his number at where should his number have been i know he was cruising but but the only thing i wonder is he had not been extended it was 90 degrees he had not been extended long very long for about six weeks that's why i was surprised that they just didn't have somebody up in the bullpen to start the seventh because mm-hmm. i thought when he went back out for the seventh i would have brought him back out there because he cruised in the sixth but i thought maybe he was if he kept cruising, they would ride it. But it was one of those deals. If if there was the first sign of any trouble, you know, then, then you're going to come get him. But they couldn't come get him after the ground rule double because they didn't have anybody in the bullpen hot and ready. And um, that was the biggest surprise to me. I, I think if you had gone into that game, Robin, you said you're going to get five out of Chase Burns and you're going to turn it over to a bullpen that you hadn't used all weekend other than Ben Joyce out of the pen, basically. I think Tony Vitello would have said, hey, I'll take five and a lead for, from Chase Burns. That means he's done what he's given to him. So, to me, he, they were in the gravy zone at that point. That he, had his fresh, he, had, he, he had his fresh bullpen. I'm just surprised he didn't have somebody up and ready at the first moment's notice of trouble. Um, that, that was my biggest surprise. Not necessarily when you go get him. He didn't have an option to go get him um, but because he didn't have anybody hot and ready until the game was tied. Yeah, I really don't have anything to add to you. I mean, I I echo what you and Austin both said. You don't take that guy out in the seventh to start the seventh, based on the way he pitched the sixth. But yeah, you're. I mean, to not have somebody up and ready to go, and then just overall, you know, the bullpen. I mean, I, I to me, that's you know, Tennessee smashed the ball last year. I mean, they had a lot of guys had great years at the plate, but and to me, and I'm hardly the only person with this opinion. The biggest difference was just the abundance of arms they had in the bullpen this year. And and for that, you know, for something that's been a, an advantage all year long to not come through on the on the biggest stage with everything on the line, that was that was my biggest surprise this weekend. And even AP and I before first pitch on Sunday, we were talking, you know, if they wanted to go, you know, two innings, two innings, two innings, and just keep mixing it up for Notre Dame. I mean, you had the luxury of doing that because again, Tennessee had a full stocked bullpen. I mean, you had Beam that could go out there and give you some. Well, we were talking, but, that, but, that, but you and I were talking about Notre Dame doing that to Tennessee, though. I know, but I'm saying the options you had galore. I mean, you started Chase Burns, and I would agree, you know, four or five innings, yeah. and then turn to the bullpen. But if you wanted to do that, keep mixing it up. I mean, you had the point of the matter is, and again, everybody makes mistakes. It is what it is. But for someone to not be ready and ready and hot in the bullpen at that point in time in the seventh is. Is kind of the disappointing thing. Um, let, let me, let yeah, me say ahead. this: C- credit credit to Notre Dame lefty that came in in the fifth 
Okay. I mean, you, you know, that because Notre Dame, that they, you know, their coach, they had a quick hook. They were going to try to piecemeal it together. Tennessee had a chance in the fifth to blow that thing open, you know, and really distance themselves. They brought the left-hander in and, and he kept Tennessee at bay and he deserves a ton of credit for taking a high octane offense that was felt like it was sitting on the launching pad in the fifth inning. I mean, you kind of felt like this was going to be the Saturday deal. Maybe they weren't going to hit three home runs or four home runs in the inning, but you felt like they were getting ready to score right there. And he comes in and slams the door in the fifth and, and slammed the door to the finish line. So, so give the left-hander from Notre Dame a lot of credit because he was clutch when they had to have somebody uh, to, to silence the, you know, what's arguably uh, one of the most potent offenses in college baseball history. He was, and, and maybe you weren't going to bat around and have two guys or one guy hit two home runs at the same inning, but you felt good about where you were. Before we flip the script here and talk recruiting, we kind of heard from Brent, we've heard from AP, and y'all can add on to it as much as you want. But, Rob, w- when you look back at this team five, ten years down the line, the, the word that comes to me was the thoughts for me will be fun, great team, disappointing, though, because, of course, you fell short of going to Omaha. Um, I don't consider this a failure of a season. That word's been thrown out a, a lot here lately, but I would say disappointing, obviously. How would you kind of view this season in the review mirror, you know, a couple of years down the line? Eric, I think you have to say it's disappointing just because of how good they were. And I don't mean it's a failure or, you know, anything like that, but just, I mean, they very clearly were the best team in college baseball all year long. I mean, maybe by a pretty wide margin. You know, I don't follow follow at the molecular level like you do, Eric. But, I mean, it seemed to me like Tennessee, there was a pretty big gap in between Tennessee and whoever else you would have thrown in there. And so to not end that season in Omaha, and I'm with AP, it's not win it or bust, but to not finish in Omaha, I I think that's, you know, you you came up short. But on, on the flip side of that, how much fun did fans have for the last three months? Yeah, it was a blast. I mean, this was a. I mean, that, this was that, a, That's my biggest takeaway, is how much how much enjoyment this this fan base got from this team for, for the last three months. I mean, they were they rode a wave and, and you know they they loved it and it, it was like nothing I thought I would ever see when you're talking about Tennessee baseball. Fun team to watch for sure. And now you're gonna flip the script, of course. You know the transfer portal. Tennessee's already active in there and will continue to be active. And uh, you know I, th- I think Tennessee's gonna be in a spot to where it can you know try to pick up right where it left off next year. Uh, elsewhere away from Lindsey Nelson Stadium. Tennessee did have a, a pretty decent little recruiting weekend. He had three official visitors in town. He had a big camp on Sunday. Austin Price, Aiden Mazzell, the wide receiver, Jalen Smith, the linebacker, Malik Benson, the junior college wide receiver, all in on official visits. Sounded like they did pretty well with all those guys. Aiden Mazzell, I mean, I still believe Florida would be the leader there, but had a lot of good things to say to Tennessee. He, um, he told me Sunday morning when leaving that's you know, if you could have co-favorites right now, it might be Florida and it might be Tennessee, but uh, we'll see how that goes. But I think Jalen Smith really vibe with Tennessee. And I think Malik Benson, as he told you, Tennessee's the, the new favorite there. Yeah, I mean, I think Jalen Smith's going to come to a decision sometime probably late June, early July. Um, love where Tennessee's at there. Um, and, and then Malik Benson, can Tennessee, you know, Tennessee's the leader. He named him that when he left, uh, when he left campus. Can Tennessee – you know, hang on with the Alabama Georgia visits pending. Now, I do think where this helps Tennessee is that those those visits hubs are back to back. So the family and the kid are about to go on like five days of straight, you know, boom, 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 go to a new campus, boom, boom, boom. And so like I, I think that's not a bad thing because you can almost be overwhelmed by all the stuff they will throw at you in those two visits being back to back. Your thoughts? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I and I think it can get a little mundane. You know, you kind of you kind of just for the be over. Yeah, because you 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 see the, you sort of see the same thing. You hear the same messaging. Um, I, I think there's a real challenge this day, and this is a bigger picture, AP, but I, I think there's a real challenge this day from recruiting staff, from coaching staff to recruiting offices on, on when kids should visit. You know, it used to be, uh, I mean, you think about Florida State for years, they had that, they always took the last weekend in January, right? You bring in 20, 25 kids the last weekend in January. Last visit wins, Hubbard. Everybody's talking about Florida State, Bobby Bowden, boy, they're struggling in recruiting, and now all of a sudden they, they close with 10, and, and that's how they built it. Tennessee built theirs around uh, the, the Martin Luther King holiday weekend. They would kind of tandem visits there. You kind of had a strategy. Now with so many kids taking visits five, six months before they make, before they sign anything, I, I think, I think you have a real different, you have to have a real different strategy, a different kind of strategy, what works. And, and I think it's more, instead of a blanket strategy, maybe it's more tailor made to the individual that, than it's ever been before, because how do you keep the newness to something if they're visiting the middle of June and you sign in December, it's hard to do. Okay. Perfect. Perfect example. Jakeem Jackson. I think Tennessee's in a good spot there. He's going to visit officially at the end of the month. But he's not going to official, not going to official Miami and Florida until the season. And then he will commit October 22nd. So you're trying to hold on to that. You know, let's say you have a lot of momentum coming out of your official visit. He's loving Tennessee. He's basically told the staff, hey, I'm coming. I'm coming, right? Let's just play this narrative out there. That's a long time to hold that momentum and withstand – Official visits. Now, I'm not worried about the the atmosphere at Miami. I mean, that's you know, that's like going to a game at Maryland College. But uh, the atmosphere at Florida, depending on who they play, could be really good, right? And especially with the game time. So, like, how do you keep that momentum for that amount of time? So, like, you know, if, if I was Tennessee, I'd be like, Jakeem, any chance you can come up here unofficially and do your official for a game in the fall? Like that, you know, but you got to take what you can get. Like, you know, kids, all kids that aren't made of money, they can't just roll in town anytime, especially kids from that far away. So, you know, it just kind of is what it is. But uh, you're right. I mean, it's, it's, you know, even, even like saying, hey, let's, let's look back. Like Tennessee's backloaded these officials at the last weekend in June, right? Like some kids are going to not even make it to, to the visit, I don't think. Like CJ Allen, I think he's going to be off the board. Um, before he ever has a chance to visit Tennessee, which would have been that weekend. Which makes I just I just think it's hard, Rob. I mean, I, I just think it's. I mean, you sit in there and you can. If a kid ain't coming in the summer, hover, I'm not visiting him. Yeah, you know, when and you're just, but then you're sitting there going, well, I mean, do I want to make sure we get a visit, you know, and and you can talk yourself into a million different answers on when's the right time, uh, but but it's not as blanket as it used to be because it's not all crammed into that one month right before signing day, because now you're trying to hold on. And I think holding on has always been harder in a lot of cases than, than it is getting somebody, Rob. Yeah, I, I agree with AP. I mean, if you don't have hard intel that you know says this kid wants to make a decision in the summer, then I just – I mean, I think it's tough to use, especially when – I mean, you, you don't have an infinite number of them. I mean, you have a, a finite number. I mean, you don't have to sign every kid that – that you bring on an official visit, but you've got to have a pretty solid batted average, you know, for sure. And, you know, it's, I, I, I totally get what you're saying. Robert. I mean, you want to, you want to make sure that, you know, you, you get the kid on your campus, but, but man, I mean, it, it, if, if it's a scenario where he he's visiting in June and 
he's pretty much told you he's not committing until October or after his senior season is over, then I just – I mean, that kind of feels like you're wasting one. Well, I think the kids out of the portal, Rob, in all sports, basketball, football, like you better get them early. Like trying to say, well, we want to be the last visit. I mean, yes, that might play out that way, but too many kids I've seen have said, yeah, I'm going to go visit these four schools. They go visit one, maybe two, and they're done. They don't ever get to schools three and four. And we're talking about portal kids. Well, and I think portal kids are a little bit different too because they went, they've been through the yes. process once before. So they don't have – I mean, the, their whole thought process in deciding on a school, for the most part, for portal kids, is different than it is when you're a high school kid. Maybe maybe y'all disagree, Rob. You may totally disagree with that. But but I don't I don't think they're as consumed with how good the food is at the, at the dinner that they go to or, you know, how, how good the academic presentation is. They, they want to know what the roster looks like, where do they play, and they do want to get it done. They're, they're not interested in – and, and dragging something out, which is why I, I, I don't know that you want to be the necessarily the last one in the portal deal. Cause maybe a guy's not going to take all five of his visits because he's like, I and don't know. If they are about all again. that, you probably don't want them, right? They're doing too drama. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I think portal kids or they they're leaving someplace for a reason and they know what they're looking for. Exactly. I mean, they're just so much more well-informed than a high school kid would be as you'd expect. I mean, you know, from, from the experience. AP, there's uh, quite a few official visitors coming in the next two weekends in June. There were a couple that were planned to come in this past weekend, but had to postpone. Who were any any updates on when those guys will be in, either this upcoming weekend or later in June, or Colby Young? Colby Young, the you know smallish tight end, big wide receiver. However you want to describe him, um, from uh, Lackawanna, JUCO in Pennsylvania. He's going to come in this weekend. Um, okay. As for um, the 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 linebacker from Florida, um, I think that that may be the end of the month. If not, it'll be pushed to the season. Um, I just know he was trying to take care of some stuff um, off the field, um, which was, I think, you know, one of those reasons why he pushed it back. Um, and, and then, you know, I, to me, it, all eyes to me this weekend are on two guys, offensive tackle, um, Stan Rammel, you know, and then Mr. Do-Everything, Cam Selden. Yeah, but there are other guys coming in this weekend that are good players. I'm just saying, like, when I look at this, like, Cam, this is a big weekend for Tennessee with Cam Selden. To me, Tennessee's got to have a ton of momentum coming out this weekend with Cam Selden if they're going to land him. And if they do, I think they have a really good shot to land him. So, big weekend. Um, Selden, you know, gives you a lot of options because he can, you know, do wide receiver or running back or both. Maybe at the same time, maybe he can play quarterback and throw the ball to himself. You never know. Okay. You never okay. know. Um, but he's, uh, he's Bugs Bunny, right field. Bugs as Bunny. as, Nick, field Bugs Bunny, as Nico told Bunny. me, he is a grown man. I mean, he's six two. He's two hundred and twenty pounds. He can fly, and he can. And he's the state track champion in the state of Virginia. Like when you see him, there's nothing about him that, like you know that that screams not developed. I mean, he he's fully developed. I mean, he's a big, big kid and can run. And they want him anyway. They want him regardless, obviously. They want oh, yeah. Prospect. I mean, but like AP, I mean, it helps so much too because there's so many questions about running back right now. If you get Cam Selden in the boat, that that helps because, again, options to where if you strike out on a couple guys that you want, obviously, or you only bring in one, you have Cam Selden that can obviously play that if needed and might play both of them to begin with. Okay, let's say Tennessee lands Nathan Laycock. Let's say they get Malik Benson done. 
and Carnell Tate. Let's just, you know, and, and they may not get any of those kids, but I'm just saying let's let's play devil's advocate here. All of a sudden, Cam Seldon's that toy. It's kind of like that fourth receiver, you know, who plays running back too. Um, you know, or if they don't land a couple of those guys, Cam Seldon can be one of those featured guys at receiver. I mean, I, again, he, he 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 just gives you options, and options are a good thing in recruiting most of the time. And then the question is, if you're able to give a guy like that, where is he going to play? Those questions, and let's see if they can actually develop into one position because there have been many players here in years past to where they don't necessarily have a home, but I, I think that guy would be too talented to leave off the field once he's developed and he were to get here. Um, last thing, guys, there's uh, two camps, or really three camps if you want to count it that way. There was a big big man camp on campus. There was a seven-on-seven seven, uh, over at the intramural fields. That was all on Thursday or Wednesday of last week. And then there was a prospect camp on Sunday. A lot of uh, lot of walk-ups, but a lot of uh, uh, talented athletes on campus. Uh, Brent, one that comes to mind, Taven Hobbs, uh, a guy that Rodney Gardner likes an awful lot of 2023, picked up an offer, and he was one of the few that got an offer on Sunday. Yeah, and he's a guy who's picked up offers everywhere he's been. Uh, interesting kid, really good athlete um, for his size. I think he ran sub 4'8 in the 40, uh, both at Tennessee and at Alabama. Got an offer from both schools. Um, I, I think he's a guy athletically looks really good. Probably would like to see a little more production when you watch game film. Uh, but athletically, you cannot deny what he can do. Uh, basketball guy, comes from a basketball family. His dad was a college basketball player. Uh, he's got two sisters uh, that are younger than him. I think one's going to be uh, a junior. One's going to be a freshman. Uh, both of them were in town this weekend for Lady Vol basketball camp on Sunday. And both of them are national type recruits. The oldest one uh, has got South Carolina and UConn as potential vis official visits. I mean, she's way up on Kelly Harper's board as well. So a talented family. Uh, and, and Hobbs is a guy whose athletic ability continues to shine in every camp setting that he's a part of. I think the question now is, can Tennessee get an official visit, AP? I think they made a good impression, but after that visit and the camp wears off here over the next few days, can Tennessee hang around and get one of those official visits in, in the fall? Because he will spend July playing AAU basketball. Of course, it's a dead period for, for recruiting for football. Uh, and then the question is, can you get one of his five official visits? He's probably already got a couple locked up anyway, right? Yeah, I mean, he said that, you know, he would be lean to doing that. But, I mean, again, you're right. I mean, look at Isaiah Shirley. Came in town, says all the right things. And then right now, it doesn't feel like Tennessee has any traction with him at all. So, what what's saying, uh, you know, does that feel like that a week from now with Hobbs? You know, or does, you know, he go back and go, man, I just, I really liked it. I definitely want to take an OB there in the fall. Um, he's in no rush. That's a good thing, uh, you know, if, if you're Tennessee, because, you know, you're offering at this stage, you you, you want a little extra time to play a little bit of catch up. So, yeah, I mean, 100%. The real question, Hubs, is is he kind of bent Hobbs? I mean, like, that was the question on the board. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I mean, like, I, I couldn't answer it. I, I'm not part of that family tree. <laughs> no, I don't think there's any relation there. Tennessee with a couple of other offers as well, offering a uh, class of 26 defensive lineman, um, Deuce Geralds. The um, units. Down in uh, down in Georgia, friends with Tyler Atkinson, who is uh, maybe the best-looking rising freshman high school player I've seen in a long time, Rob Lewis. He's different now. I mean, two uh, kids that were just ridiculous athletically. He, yeah. he induced, and, and also, also super, you know, super young man. I mean, me and Eric both spent some time talking to him after the fact, and a lot more mature than I was before I had a driver's license. But, yeah, uh, and, then they, and then they offered Marcus Gorey out of Bradley Central. 
There's a 20, 20, and he's 2026, 20, right? Or 2024. Gore is 2024. Yeah. So that's what, yeah. that's a little more immediate, but yeah, the two Georgia kids, Gardner and Atkinson, you're, you're going to be hearing a lot about them. The so there's been, year. been five camps in the rearview mirror. One more to go on the 26th, right? AP. That's right. The 26th, the last one before the dead period. And of course, two more official visit weekends, tons of recruiting left this month to get into. And we'll be talking a lot more recruiting now with the unfortunate departure of of all baseball, of course. But that's all the time we have today for this edition of the VolQuest podcast. Hey, YouTube channel, like, subscribe, go ahead and turn on the notifications. So every time we post an interview, every time we post a video, every time we post a podcast on YouTube, you will know. Uh, so go ahead and subscribe, like our YouTube page, VolQuest uh, Rivals. Just go ahead and find it there, and uh, you won't miss out on anything. But big thanks to Smoky Mountain Organics. Visit one of the th- three locations in East Tennessee, including the one right here in Knoxville, 8018 Kingston Pike, across the street from the Trader Joe's. And you can always shop at SmokyMountainOrganics.com. Big thanks to them. For Brent Hubs, Rob Lewis, Austin Price, I'm Eric Kane. I appreciate you guys for tuning in to this edition of the VolQuest Podcast. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday, everybody. You've been listening to the VolQuest podcast every week here on VolQuest.